Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. We, we have to understand that from her perspective, you know, she was so blown away, she didn't even think to ask, where are you from, what's your name? She was just like, I can't believe you're telling me this. This is, a wonderf- this is wonderful news, and I can't believe what I'm seeing in front of me. I can't believe what I'm seeing in front of me. And don't you desire just to have more of an understanding of God and to have those, those times? Uh, I would encourage you in this time of difficulty, in this time of uh, frustration, uh, sorrow even, to dwell on the face of Christ, dwell on those passages in the scripture. Our scripture today says, A man of God came to me. Welcome everyone to Truth in Christ Radio with Pastor Rob Kellogg. This scripture indicates that the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and appeared to be a man, yet his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Manoah's wife told him that she didn't even ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell her his name. This shows the profound impact the appearance of the angel of God had upon Manoah's wife. He was very awesome, so much that she didn't ask any questions. We can only imagine. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. It speaks about this law of the Nazarite. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite, To separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. In all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head, and until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, and he shall be holy. In other words, being separate, and that's exactly what a Nazarite is. They, are, they have a separate life, a life that's separated unto God. And so it says, Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow, and all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Notice that. He shall not go near a dead body because he would defile himself. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. I won't continue to, to read it, but you can finish reading it because it does take some time. But I would encourage you to read down to verse 21 because it talks about the ins and outs of that. But it's interesting that Samson, when we look at this vow that was placed upon him even from his uh in his mother's womb 
that as we look through these next four chapters, uh, especially 14, 15, and 16, we're going to see that Samson really went back on all of those things. Um, you know, he, he did cut his hair. He did flirt with, uh, you know, honey from the, from the, uh, from a, out of the side of a, of a lion, which was an unclean animal, and he even gave it to his parents, unbeknown to them. He gave it to them. Um, he was, a uh, he had a problem with, um, uh, sexual purity. Certainly he was, uh, uh, a man who had uh, a number of girlfriends and didn't have any self-control of, of himself in that regard. And so we see uh, this vow that he took, and, and again, we just read most or some of it, and you can finish reading it on your own time there. But, but Samuel, we know, uh, was another man uh, who had a vow from birth. If you remember, in First Samuel chapter 1, let me just read this to you, it's shorter. It says that Elkanah, her husband, said to Hannah, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? And am I not better to you than ten sons? And, and so Hannah rose up from their visit there in Shiloh at the temple, or at the, in the tabernacle. And Eli, the priest, was sitting of the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord. And she wept in anguish. And notice... She made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but, but give your maidservant a male child, notice her vow, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And notice, and no razor shall come upon his head. And so Hannah puts her son Samuel under this Nazarite vow even before he's even conceived. And so we see that that happens. And um, a similar thing with John the Baptist. You know, um, John, um, or I'm sorry, uh, Zacharias, uh, John the Baptist's father, remember, he was visited by an angel in the temple when he was serving, because remember, he was a Levite. And what did he say in verse 15 of Luke chapter 1? The angel said to, to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, because certainly Zacharias was no doubt praying as they began to get older and older and there were no children, he began, I'm sure, to pray, Lord, just please give me a son. You know, please give me a son. And no doubt uh, his wife was praying for the same thing. And, and the Lord says to him, the angel, excuse me, said to him, Your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And here it is right here. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so these men in history, and you notice there's not a great number of them either. And we're talking about a long time in between, hundreds of years sometimes between these men. I mean, certainly with Samson and uh, Samuel, they were actually at one point contemporaries with one another, we believe. But, you know, when you look at the life of John the Baptist, he wouldn't come around for uh, another thousand years at least. And so uh, this kind of thing doesn't happen a whole lot. You know, uh, somebody being uh, sanctified and, and set apart from the womb, like Jeremiah, like God said to Jeremiah, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I love that. So much for the uh, abortion doctors and, and for the doctors who say that life doesn't begin, you know, it's not viable uh, at all until maybe when it comes out of the womb. No, God says, even before conception, 
I knew that life. I formed that. I had a plan for that life before they were even conceived. And so we have to back that up. We have to back up our, our thinking today and, and say, you know, it is various at the moment of conception. And even before that, that life is known to God. And no one has the right to take that life ever. No one. And notice, and he shall begin, at the end of verse 5, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. You know, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, especially in in chapter 1, and certainly as we look at uh, the the sight that we're seeing in chapter 4 and what we're going to see in chapter 5, it just really gives us this understanding. And even in Matthew chapter 17, during the transfiguration of Jesus, just the magnificence of His glory is just so overwhelming. And so, you know, this woman, she saw something like that because this was literally Jesus in front of her before he was even born into the womb and, and, and placed in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name. You know, I can imagine, you know, you're so blown away by this sight and this this encounter. I mean, think of this. Uh, you know, if you're if you're Manoah's wife and you and you look at this, it's quite a, an amazing thing because you're a barren woman, and now he's telling me that I'm going to be born, and and I can't get over the sight. By the way, that 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 his appearance is is you know who knows what she's seen. She said it was awesome, <laughs> and and so we we have to understand that from her perspective, you know, she was so blown away she didn't even think to ask where are you from, what's your name. She was just like, I can't believe you're telling me this. This is a wonderful, this is wonderful news, and I can't believe what I'm seeing in front of me. I can't believe what I'm seeing in front of me. And don't you desire just to have more of an understanding of God and to have those, those times? Uh, I would encourage you in this time of difficulty, in this time of uh, frustration, uh, sorrow even, to dwell on the face of Christ, dwell on those passages in the Scripture, you know, like Matthew 17, like Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, and look at chapter 4 and chapter 5, and certainly look at Jesus and and the, and the description that's given to us in Revelation 19, 11 through, you know, a good portion of that, that chapter. It, it just really blows our minds to consider that he's no longer this meek and mild, you know, lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As important as that was, he's no longer that lamb, that peaceful lamb. The Bible says that he's coming back. He's coming back. And when he comes back for the church, we are going to be taken up off the earth. And folks, I believe that's going to happen any time. I have no idea when that's going to be. This whole thing could settle down and there could be a status quo for another five years. But I hope not. I hope that things are just going to continue and the birth pangs are going to increase and the Lord is going to say, come up here and we are going to be caught up and snatched up violently off the earth. We are going to be raptured, raptus. We're going to be taken up to be with Him for seven years. We're going to be with Him while the great tribulation takes place on the earth and then when we come back with Him, it is going to be so glorious. I can't wait for that day. Can't wait for that day. And so... Verse 7, He said to me, she said, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine, nor strong drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, from the womb to the day of his death. From the womb 
to the day of his death. What does that encompass? That encompasses Samson's entire life. And notice that he even had the mother dedicate herself to this kind of vow, even while she was the carrier of that life inside of her. I think that's just so amazing. And, you know, we're going to see that Samson uh, would not keep this vow. He would really hold to it very lightly. He he was very compromised in a lot of areas, but strong physically. But that's about all he had going for him. And the Lord wanted to make him strong in character. But for whatever reason, he chose a different path. He didn't chose uh, to be consecrated bodily, you know, in, in mind, you know, in soul, body, and, and spirit. You know, he, he was just the type of guy when he led by his eyeballs, you know, when he saw something, when he saw a woman, he had no restraint. He just went after her headlong like an ox to the slaughter. You know, there's there's so much in Proverbs. And as we get into this, into chapter 14 and 15, there's going to be a lot of exhortation for men, especially as we as we consider the culture that we live in and the way women hold themselves and the way they uh, attract men. And they do it through, they, they know exactly what they're doing. And uh, women, that, that's a real impetus for you uh, to really be careful about how you dress because people are watching men are watching and and how you dress determines how men look at you not if they will look at you but how they look at you and there's a difference you know i can see a woman on the street and i can take a glance i see she's there and i can see her <laughs> but then there's another look that can be given and then I, I i'm looking at her a little more intently and that's where samson got into a lot of trouble and that's a real problem in our culture today especially men and men certainly outside of church there, there's not even a there's no restraint on that but men within the church specifically we have to really consider this it's something that's um uh, something in our culture that is uh rampant rampant and especially for the teenage young boys in the church and the teenage young girls even as well so we'll look at that as we get into it but notice in verse 10 it says that the god listened to the voice i'm sorry back up to verse 8 then manoah prayed to the lord and said oh my lord please let uh, the man of god whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born and god listened to the voice of manoah and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. It's interesting to me how the Lord seems to come to the women. Uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe because the men are too busy. Uh, or it could be that they're not really, uh, and especially at this time, maybe Manoah's wife was a little more spiritually in tune. Maybe she was really um, walking with the Lord and maybe her husband, you know, who knows? Uh, but it wouldn't surprise any of us because of the, the, the time that they were living in, the culture that they were living in. They were living in a time of decline, and, but that doesn't mean that they were necessarily completely given over to compromise and idolatry because certainly they were not. Um, but there, there might, may, may have been a cooling off. But anyway, so the woman uh, ran in haste, verse 10, and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose. He followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Notice, I am. And you underline that word. And many of you know this. But I am is a, is a significant word um, because these two words really identify who is really speaking here. We know that it's the angel of the Lord. 
and he fur- further confirms it with, in, in a sense, and, and adds more uh, confidence to that thought by saying, I am. Are you the man who the woman spake to? And he said, I am. He wasn't just answering a question, but I also believe he was also identifying himself even further to him. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, because this is a passage that really works well with this and helps us understand this idea of I am. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to look just at the first 14 verses. I am. Remember when Moses, he was out in the desert. Uh, He married Jethro's daughter and he was out there tending his father-in-law's sheep. But notice what it says in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush, notice. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And so then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. I think you would too. If you see something on fire, you're waiting for it to turn into smolders, and finally the thing just blows away because everything is consumed. But this thing was on fire, and yet it didn't consume it. And so, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, verse 4, God called him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Does that sound like he's the God of the dead or the God of the living? Because he's speaking as if they're still alive. He's the God of the living, isn't he? Because he's speaking as if they are alive, because they are with him. They are with him in his presence. He says, I am the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. And Moses, notice, hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And, and so would you if you saw God in any, any of his effulgence. I mean, to see God uh, in, 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 a, in a pre-incarnate form even is, is an amazing thing. And the Lord has a wonderful way of veiling his glory, just as he did with the Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration as God revealed just a smidgen, just a portion of his glory. He had to, he had to veil it, for if he did not, those men would be consumed. I love what the Bible says. It says, our God is a consuming fire. And His His brightness is so bright. I don't know about you, but that, that just, it encourages my heart. You know, don't you, don't you desire for purity and truth? I mean, especially today. There, there's, there's nothing truthful. Very little truth out there. And yet we can hold on to the truth. And the truth has a hold on us. But one day we're going to see him and let your heart get, let your worship be energized by just thinking about Christ, thinking about Jesus in this state and just to imagine him in all of his glory and all of his beauty, perfect in every every possible way. He's perfect in compassion. He's beautiful. He's perfect in thought. He's never had an evil thought. He's perfect in His compassion, perfect in love, perfect in forgiveness. There is nothing about Him that is not perfect. Have you ever really just grabbed a hold of that? I mean, to me, that's just awesome. But notice, he says, uh, So Moses saw him and was afraid, and verse 7, The Lord said to him, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I love that about God, too. He knows 
He knows our sorrows. He knows what we're going through right now and the difficulty and the trying that it is for all of us, not just the, the church, but for those outside the church. And he says, I've, And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, uh, from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And of course, he's speaking of the promised land there west of the Jordan River, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses, notice, says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, on Horeb. And that that certainly did happen. We know that. Then Moses said, Indeed, uh, when I come to the children of Israel... And say to them, the God of our uh, of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say? And God said to him, I am who I am. And this is the exact word that is spoken of here in uh, Judges. Uh, I am. It's In Hebrew, it literally means, it's a name that means to exist. That, that's what the word means. The name I am, it's a, it's, a, it's a single word and it means to exist. So it's the self-existing one, the one who has always existed. And we see the exact same thing, and I love this. You might want to put a footnote off the side of your Bible here and write down John chapter 18, verses uh, 3 through 8. Remember when Jesus... Uh, the night that he was taken, he and his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, Judas came with a detachment of of troops to come in with swords and spears. And remember, uh, Jesus looked at this army that had been coming to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said to them, Who are you seeking? And they answered him, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Uh, he, in the, if you look in your Bible, you'll notice that the word he is in italics, which means that it wasn't in the original scripture. Uh, so he literally said, I am. I am. And it's the exact, I mean, obviously it's the, it's the Greek word for that Hebrew word, but they both mean identically the same thing. The Greek is ego imi, which means I exist. <laughs> so another vaguety, isn't it? So tell me who, who it is that sent me. You know, who am I going to say that sent me, Lord, to come and say this? Tell them I am, that I am. I exist. I exist. I've always existed. That's who you should say that sent you. And so, verse 12, Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? And so the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful, and, and, and that she may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And so, you know, if you think about it, he really didn't go into any great detail about the manner that they were going to raise him, but he said enough. He said enough. And if they knew the law, if they knew the law, they could go back and uh, look in, um, they could look in the, in the scriptures back, uh, we looked at that earlier. Uh, where was it? Uh, back in Numbers chapter 6. He could go back to Numbers chapter 6 and look 
at what was there and it would spell everything out. So the Lord didn't really need to go into any great detail. He just kind of summarized it. Basically what I said to the woman is what I'm saying to you. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.